We're launching a new series today, and it is called Death, Burial, Resurrection. Okay? So I, I just, yeah, I, I'll, I'll just admit to you, like, for a couple weeks, I've been trying to come up with a real slick sermon series title, like some real cool abstract esoteric phrase that would just make you go, ooh, that's awesome. And then I couldn't. Everything I came up with was super lame. And so I finally, I sat down in my office this last week, and I'm just reading the whole passage again, Matthew 27, Matthew 28, Matthew 29. And I'm like, you know what this is about? This is about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what it's about. Let me tell you this. If you don't know anything else about the Christian faith, about what it means to follow Jesus, just learn these three words. That's all you need to know. This is the most important thing because being a follower of Jesus has nothing to do with how good you are, how hard you work, how much you make it happen, how deep you can dig, how disciplined you are. It has everything to do with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf, something that you didn't have anything to do with. He did it before you were even born, and he did it for you, and you get to experience that life today. So we're going to spend the next three weeks on death, burial, resurrection. And today we're going to start with death. Okay. Now let me just tell you, I'm not a death preacher. I'm a resurrection preacher. I like preaching. I like preaching resurrection. I like preaching new life. I like, but we don't get the resurrection unless we go through the death. We don't get to experience the, the brightness of the morning until we've gone through the darkness of the night. And so we're going to spend some time exploring what happened on that cross in that moment, that day in history where Jesus stretched out his arms and bore our sin and bore our shame and bore our guilt and our fear and carried it up on the cross, stretched out his arms and bore it. So I'm going to start by reading probably one of the most heart-wrenching, beautiful, tragic, sublime passages in the entire Bible. It's the moment when Jesus breathes his last. It's the moment when Jesus had been, he'd already been, he'd already been arrested. He'd already been slapped and beat and spit upon and stripped naked, crown of thorns upon his head. He'd already gone through all that. And at, and at this moment that we're going to read today is the moment that he stretched out his arms and died. So I want to read from Matthew chapter 27. And, and here's how he describes it. Here's how it's described in Matthew. It says, from noon... Until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. The whole, the whole land went dark. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus, who stretched out on the cross, cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most tragic, powerful, despairing words you are going to read in the scripture. Why have you forsaken me? And then Jesus, when he had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the, tom the tombs were broke open. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely this was the Son of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today I want to speak on the subject, when you feel abandoned. When you feel abandoned. We, we came back from Israel a couple weeks ago, and there were a couple things that 
were sort of unintended consequences of our trip that I wasn't expecting. Maybe I should have expected, I didn't expect. One of them was that it turns out if you spend two weeks eating Israeli buffets full of hummus and tabbouleh, you're going to put on a couple pounds. So when you come back, you get on the scale, you go, oh, okay, that happened. Okay, so that was one thing that happened. But the other thing that was, was more surprising, I'm gonna, I'll be working on that, don't worry. Um, the other thing that was so surprising was that um, it, it, if there was any question about which parent our daughter Eden preferred, that question has been entirely cleared up by our trip to Israel. Because it turns out this girl loves her mama. She is, not, she is not too worried about her daddy. In fact, when, she, when we brought her, when we came back, all she wanted was mom. Like, in fact, it was, it was as if she was mad at me for taking mom away from her. So every time she saw me, she was doing like, you know, like that, um, in that three-year-old way, and, uh, which is kind of cute still. You're still like, oh, you, you despise me, and I love you so much, you know. Um, but... Uh, but to mommy, she's just clingy and huggy and kissy and all this. In fact, at one point this week, I said, I said, Eden, you know, you're giving mom all these hugs and kisses. Like, what about daddy? Can daddy get a little hug or kiss or something? And she's three, right? And so she goes like this. She goes, I'll kiss you later, dad. <laughs> and I go, I said, okay, when are you going to, when do I get a kiss? Like, when's later? And I promise you, she said this. I mean, she's three years old. She said, I'll kiss you this summer when we go to a Cardinal game. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, how do you even know about the Cardinals? You're three years old. Um, so either she's like a major Cardinal fan or like that's the furthest out that she can imagine. And she's like, then I'll kiss you, right? <laughs> but we, we had this moment this week that, that, that like just sort of captured what was going on in her little heart. I've never seen her do this before. We're in the family room. It's in the evening, family's together just doing stuff, hanging out. And then Rebecca had to go upstairs for something and Eden was concentrating when, when Rebecca went upstairs. And then when Eden looked up, mommy wasn't there. And Eden thought that mommy had left. And I've never seen her do this before, three years old. She jumps up, she bursts into tears. I mean, real tears. She's trucking to the front door, throws herself against the front door. Mommy, mommy, she's crying out, mommy. and. I'm like, wait, mommy's right here. She's, everybody's, we're still together, you know. But what we realized in that moment, we've never been away from her for two weeks before. And what she was feeling was the fear of abandonment. She was afraid that, you know, mommy was gone before. I didn't like that. And I'm afraid mommy's going to leave again. How many of you ever felt abandoned in your life by somebody that you love or somebody who was supposed to love you? You had an experience where you just, that pain that, that, that like almost despair of feeling like someone was supposed to be there for you and they weren't there for you. And it's this, they, psychologists literally call it the fear of abandonment. The fear that somebody who loves you is going to leave you. The fear, a lot of times it ties into like this fear that you are not worthy of the love that you are receiving. And so you fear that that love will be removed from you. Some people have had a real experience of this and they have to process it throughout their life. And I know many people like this where one parent or the other or both left, like genuinely left. And so this person grew up, you know, dealing with, and some of you have had this experience, dealing with the fact that your parent wasn't there and you're trying to navigate, how do I, what does it mean about me that I was left, that they left me? And so you have this kind of 
abandonment thing going on in your heart. For some people, your parents didn't leave, but maybe they were physically there, but they were not emotionally there. And so you were, they were in the house, but you could never get to them. It's like they're a million miles away. And so you have this sense of like longing for what you wanted and desired and hoped for, but they, they couldn't or didn't provide it for some reason. And, and, and you feel there's a, a little bit of a fear of abandonment. You wouldn't even, maybe you don't even know what to call it that, but that's what it is. Children of, of alcoholics, if you've ever had a, a family member who's addicted to, a drug, to drugs or alcohol, there, there's, there's a distance that grows that even when you're physically proximate, you're, there's such a great distance that you can, you can feel a sense of abandonment from that experience. Or maybe for some people, it's just, you know, something easy. You, you, go on to, you go on to Instagram and you see all your friends hanging out, you know, taking selfies together. And you're like, wait a minute, I wasn't invited to the party. And you feel a little bit abandoned, you know, or you're, all your colleagues leave. And you're there at the office all by yourself. You feel abandoned. How many knows what I'm talking about? You ever felt that in some way of your life? Um, the, 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 when I was a kid, we had, um, I don't know if any of you guys experienced this, but when I was a kid, um, there was sort of a wave sweeping through the church, that, the churches, that was focused on the end times. You know what I'm saying? The end times, the rapture. And Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. And, and if you're not totally dialed in, like if you don't have it all together in that moment, then God's going to scoop up all your friends and you're going to be left behind. In fact, I, when I was a kid, I, like, I sort of lived with this constant thread of a fear that, that God is going to come. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. He's going to come and I'm going to be left behind because, you know, I, I wasn't living exactly right in that moment. I was having a bad thought or I was doing a, a bad thing, you know. Don't drink, don't chew, don't date the girls who do. And, and you're like, oops, whoops, you know, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so, and so I remember like as a kid, always feeling like God can, God can, God might abandon, might take everybody else and leave me at any moment. Like I didn't understand his grace. I didn't understand his mercy. I didn't understand that nothing separates you from the love of Christ. I didn't know that then. I didn't understand that fully. I didn't fully comprehend that. In fact, I remember one time I came home from school and um, I, I got off the bus and I go up to the front door like I always did, and I knocked on the door, and, uh, or I tried to open the door, it was locked. Okay, I, I knocked on the door, nobody answered. I looked in the window, and nobody's there. Now, like a normal kid would have said, oh, mom's probably at the laundromat, maybe she's down at Schnucks, you know, maybe she's at the grocery store. Not me, I'm like, oh my God, the rapture took place. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like left behind, I'm left behind. I'm gonna be here fighting the battle of Armageddon with all the other heathens that, you know. <laughs> And I'm, I'm a dead man walking. Mark the beast is coming and I'm out, you know. And so, and so we lived, I lived with this sense of dread, right? That God was always just kind of barely getting ready to, to just, just, just take off. And you weren't going to go with them, you know. I, I don't know if you know, if you've experienced this. But whenever you're with somebody or maybe you've experienced it, whenever you carry with you a fear of abandonment, you tend to create the very situation that you're trying to avoid. Do you know what I mean? Like people who, who are afraid that the people who love them are going to leave them tend to act out in ways that makes the person that they don't want to leave want to leave. 
Do you know what I mean? Some of you know what I'm saying. Because if you're a little bit afraid they're going to leave you, you start getting clingy and you start getting needy and you start getting jealous and you start getting controlling and you can, can sometimes be toxic. And pretty soon, you know, you're afraid they're going to leave you and suddenly you're creating the circumstance in which they're like, dude, I need to leave. I want to leave you. Right? And so you, you can all make it be a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're walking around with this fear of abandonment. Right? And it's a real fear, even if the fear is not based in reality. It's a real fear. It affects you. It impacts you. Uh, Jesus, on the cross, was feeling a sense of abandonment. That's what he was feeling. That's why he cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he's feeling. That was a feeling that he was having, an emotion that he was willing to express in that moment. And I love that he expressed it because it tells me that he can empathize with the feeling that I have sometimes and the feeling that you have sometimes when you feel like God is distant and you feel like God is far away and you feel like he's remote and does he even care? We have a friend that put a post on Facebook this week. She's going through some cancer treatments and she said, you know, I, I keep having this feeling like God has forgotten me. He's forgotten me. We talked to somebody else this week, somebody who's who's uh, just loves the Lord and, and has been walking with the Lord a long time. And they said, you know, they went through this period in life where they really felt like, they really believed in their mind for a moment that God had withdrawn his Holy Spirit from them and, 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 and given it to somebody else and just took, and, and this, this is a person who was longing for God, but they had this feeling of abandonment. What's so beautiful in the moment, in the story of Jesus' death, is that he is both feeling this, sense of abandonment he's feeling it because he's expressing it so clearly but he's not acting on it you see he if he was acting on the fear of abandonment if he thought hey man this thing isn't working out we know what he could have done he could have called 10,000 angels down from heaven said guys get me off this cross let's put a sword in Simon Peter and James and John's hand let's smite the Roman Empire I'll get a crown and a throne and, and we'll build a golden temple and I'll take over as the warrior king of Israel that everybody wants me to be anyway in other words, he was, he was able to act on that emotion, but he was able to act on that feeling, but he remained true to his mission despite the emotion that he was feeling. Here's something I want you to get and apply this in every area of your life. Here it is, ready? Just because you feel it doesn't make it fact. Just because you feel like God is not with you doesn't mean he's not with you. Just because you feel abandoned doesn't mean that you are abandoned. Just because you feel unworthy of his love does not mean you are unworthy of his love. Just because you feel like he's remote and distant and far off doesn't mean that he's remote and distant and far off. Just because you feel it doesn't make it a fact. There's a, there's a phrase that a lot of celebrities use, and I get the phrase, and I'm not hating on the phrase, and I'm not a mean, you know, uh, you know curmudgeonly old pastor, but there's this phrase that people use, it kind of gets up under my skin a little bit when they say, you know what, I'm just going to speak my truth. I'm going to speak my truth. You know what I mean? I know it's okay. It's all right to say the phrase, you know, in certain circumstances alone by yourself to no one else. But, but um, the thing I don't like about the phrase is because your truth may not be the truth. And so you may be thinking things about yourself that aren't true, and that's your truth, but it doesn't align with what God says about you, and so it's not the truth. And you're over here experiencing your truth, but your truth doesn't align with His truth. So when you're over here feeling like God's going to 
abandon me and God's going to run from me and maybe I'm not worth it anyway and maybe my sins are irreversible and maybe it's too late for me anyway and maybe my child is gone forever and, maybe, and you're having, you're having your, your truth moment and God is saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. You, you, you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. As far as the east is from the, the west, you can make your bed in heaven. You can be going through hell, but I'm with you. So that's the truth. And you got to get the truth applied to your life, not just your truth applied to your life. Do you know what I'm saying? Just because you feel it doesn't make it a fact. Jesus in this moment is feeling abandoned. He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling the, the, the sense of, 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 of God's departure from him. That's what he's experiencing because he's, a, he's, fully, he's fully God, but he's fully man. And so it's, as fully man, he's feeling this experience. But what we find so powerful in this moment is despite the emotion, he stays with his mission. Let, let me read you what the, they say, what uh, Philippians 2 says about this moment. It says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the, the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When everything in him wanted to say, I got to get out of here. I got to stop this madness because God has forsaken me. The mission isn't working. This isn't the way it's supposed to. When everything in him is saying that, he endured. The, he was obedient to the cross. He was obedient to death. This isn't the first time he felt this way. The, you know, the, 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 the night before, two nights before, the night before, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane, you know what that means? It means, it means oil press. And an oil press is this huge stone, and it's got these massive, it's this huge round stone. There's this big stone. They put olives in there, and they roll this stone, and the stone just crushes the olives, and the olive oil pours out of these olives. And he's in a garden, the garden of oil crushing machines, which is where he is in that moment. And he's feeling the pressure. He's feeling the pressure. And he even prays in that moment. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to get crushed. The scripture says that he sweated as, as it were great drops of blood. He was, it was, he was literally being crushed. And he was saying, let this cup pass. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, it's, it's just because you're feeling it doesn't, doesn't make it a fact. Here's what he's demonstrating through his faithfulness to the cross. Here's what he's demonstrating to you. Here's what he's saying to you. Through his actions, he's saying, never let your pain override your purpose. Don't let the pain that you're experiencing override the overarching purpose and divine direction of your life. Don't let the pain throw you off. Don't let it take you out of mission. Don't let it take you out of purpose. Stay with what God has for you in the pain, in the struggle. Because he... Here's what he doesn't ever say. He doesn't ever say, follow me and you will not have problems. He doesn't say that. He says the exact opposite. Follow me and you will have problems. That's what he says. You will, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good courage because I have overcome this world. So what he's not saying is you won't suffer. What he is saying is suffering is not the end of your story. 
because I've suffered and you will share my suffering, but like you have shared my suffering, you will share my glory. There's a, there's a way through this. I just need you to go with me through this. I need you to walk with me. So don't let your pain override your purpose. My son Jameson is starting to, to wrestle now and he's on a wrestling team and um, it's just so cool and I just love, I love Lincoln and Jameson are both wrestling. And the other day we're at, we're at their wrestling practice and everybody's out on the mat and all the kids are wrestling around, you know, and, and I'm kind of standing there watching and Jameson and Lincoln are wrestling and they go down onto the mat and there's this couple other guys that are over here wrestling and this one kid, they, they, the two groups got too close together and this one kid accidentally, inadvertently kicked Jameson right in the ear. Like his foot just went bang right on his ear. I don't know if you've ever had your ear like hit or punched or kicked, but it hurts, man. It smarts. It stings. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, it just makes you go like this. And I'm, I know, ex- I'm watching him. And so like, I know exactly what he's going through. Cause I used to be a wrestler years ago. My, my ear is a, literally a half inch thick. I've got cauliflower ear. I, I, it's been hit a few times. I know how it smarts. So I'm watching him. And, and I'm, I, I see this moment, and this is a, I know this might sound weird to some of you guys, but every guy in the congregation right now is, right now is tracking with me 100%. You're like, dude. Um, he's, he's standing there, and in that moment, I see the decision, I see the wheels going in his mind. Because it hurts. It hurts. It hurts so bad. It's not the kind of hurt where you get to decide whether you're going to cry. It's the kind of hurt where the tears just go, boom. Right? They just fill you up. They, you know, he wasn't injured. There was no blood. It was no, but it hurts. And so I'm watching him. And as a dad, I'm going, what decision is he going to make right here? I just, I'm curious. You know, I made sure he was okay. But I wanted to see what he's going to do. Because he has the option to go, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to the locker room. I'm hitting the shower. I'm getting a towel. Get out. Right? He has that option, the pain. Or he has the option to turn around and get back on the mat. He's got the option. He gets to make the decision. So I'm watching this moment with my son, Jameson. I'm like, what's he going to do? And it was one, it was like a spiritual moment, everybody. I'm just telling you as a dad. It was like, because I saw him and I saw his eyes well up with tears. And I saw, he's a little skinny guy. You know, I see him like kind of hunch over like this. And then he goes like this. Like wipes wipes it off and he (laughs) he goes back out on the mat. And he's like, right? I'm like, he's, I'm like, this other dude better watch out. Because, because he just said, look, I'm on, I'm on mission. My pain can take me out of here or I can stay in the game. I can stay on focus. I can stay on the path. Here's what God is saying to somebody today. Look, you're getting getting dinged. You're getting popped this way and that. You're going through stuff. There are diagnoses that are coming your way. The kids aren't acting right. Uh, The family is not going well. The finances are not great. School is bad this semester. Things might not be going. Do not let your pain override your purpose. Don't let it happen. In fact, what is so fascinating, I don't know if you caught this, this moment in the, in the, in the narrative, but what happens uh, right when Jesus endures the pain is fascinating because he doesn't, he doesn't step away. He stays in it. And look what happens. It says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And then watch this. At that moment... At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, if you grew up in church or know, you know, you've been around church for a while, you know that means something. But if you haven't, let me tell you what it means. What it means is this. There's a temple just literally 100 yards, 200 yards from where Jesus is being crucified. Very close. 
And in that temple, this is the temple where God's manifest presence dwelt for the Israelite people. And there was a place called the holy place in that temple. It was a big area called the holy place. Then there was a small place. Now it's called the holiest place, the holy of holies. This place was boxed off. And this is where the presence of God would come in uh, and, and stay there. And it was surrounded by a very large, thick curtain. The curtain that surrounded it, very beautiful embroidered curtain, was about as wide as this stage. It was about as tall as this auditorium. It was about three inches thick. It was massive. And the only person who ever would go in there was one priest, the high priest, one time a year. And experience God's presence, God's spirit in that moment. One person on the planet once a year, right? The moment Jesus endured the pain to the end, the moment he walked through the threshold, the moment he breathed his last, the scripture says that curtain just tore in two, which means that the presence of God, the almighty God, stopped being for an elite one. It stopped being for an elite few. It became available to me and to you and to every human being on the planet because Jesus said, I'm going to endure the pain. I'm going to endure the pain for the purpose that is greater than the pain. I'm going to stay in it. God is saying to some of us today, hey, don't let the pain pull you out of the purpose. Jesus, his brother, put it like this. And I love how he puts it, James. He said, blessed is, it, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, who stays under it, who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He's saying, look, somebody, I know what you're going through. I've gone through it too. The empathy of the moment, the beauty of the moment is he's going, I've been there. Man, I have been there. I've seen what you've seen. I've experienced what you've experienced. And I can, I can, I can walk through there with you. I can be there with you. I don't know if, if this represents you or if it's just me, but I am not inspired by people who have never experienced any difficulties in their life. I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy for them. Awesome for you. But I'm not like moved by it. I'm not inspired by it. Because it's actually the way they endure the pain that makes me wonder what's going on in them that I want to have in my life. I want to experience what they're experiencing because inevitably we're all going to go through many of the same difficulties, hardships, and tragedies in life. And how do they do that? And when you observe someone, in fact, every major spiritual moment in my life seems to be attached to observing somebody faithfully navigate pain and suffering and hardship. That's, 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 that's what actually brought me to Christ. That's what, brought, that's what brought me to Jesus in the first place. My father, I watched him 18 months with a, with a terminal illness, 18 months day after day suffer. Die, 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 worse, worse. 18 months every day. And watch his faith in the midst of that. And I wasn't a believer. I wasn't a believer. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Jesus guy. And, you know, I thought it was all, I thought I was too smart for that. I thought I was too, too cool for that crazy stuff. And I'm watching him endure this pain and hold on to faith and love God and have peace and hope and mercy and strength in his life when he's going through the very worst thing possible all the way through the end. And by the time it was over, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm not, I need what he had. I need to get some of what he had. 
That's, that's, that's when the world of the spirit began to open up to me. That's when, because when we see somebody persevere through the pain, when we see them keep the faith despite the feelings, when we see them hold on and maintain faith in God in the midst of difficulty and hardship, something about that speaks to our soul. It resonates in our very soul of souls. And we go, there's something there. In fact, this is how Jesus got his first Gentile convert. Not, not after his resurrection. It was in the moment of the death. Look at this. Remember what he said at the beginning. He said, when the centurion, the Roman centurion, who was overseeing a hundred you know, Roman soldiers, who's in charge of guarding Jesus, when the centurion and his soldiers were guard, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. They watched him endure the pain. They watched his faithfulness in the midst of the hardship. And something about that moment resonated in their life. And they said, oh my God, this was the son of God. This was the son of God. I want to just, I'm going to close with this. And, and if, you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's often in your darkest hour that God's light shines the brightest. In fact, I should have revised that. It's always in your darkest hour. That God's light shines the brightest. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're going through dark hours. Some of you are going through dark hours. Some of you just come through dark hours. Some of you are heading into dark hours. Let me tell you this. God's light can only shine in the darkness. That's when it shines the brightest. Shines the brightest when you're going through the pain. When you're going through the hardship. When you're going through the difficulty. In that moment, you get an opportunity to see what it's really all about. You know, there are plenty of times in the scripture where things are going great for people. It doesn't require faith when things are going great. Because they're going great. Who needs God, man? It's all good. But when the struggle comes, that's when you need him. That's when his light can shine the brightest. In fact, you know, Jesus says he's on the cross. He's making this, this exclamation, this, this declaration, right? Of his feeling, the feeling that he's having. He's expressing the emotion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What some people know and some people don't know is that he's not just saying that, he didn't, he's not just saying that on his own. This is the opening line to a song that he used to sing when he was a kid that David wrote. Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 says, it opened, the opening line literally says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the psalmist, David, the opening line of the song. But what you might not notice is that when you're singing this song and then you turn the page to Psalm 23, you hear a different story. Because David was expressing the real pain that he had. He was expressing the real pain, the pain of the feeling of abandonment. I feel like you are far from me. Why have you forsaken me, God? Then you turn the page. And then you write this. This is your next song. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Why have you forsaken me? He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. 
You're with me. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. He will not leave you because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. When you thought you were alone, you were not alone. He's been with you the whole time. He's been with you the whole time. He's with you now. We have a friend that says to me, she says, she says to a friend of ours, she says, you know, I've got a lot of Catholic guilt. She says, I said, well, you know, hey, Catholics don't have the corner on guilt. You know, there's some Baptist guilt and Presbyterian guilt and Pentecostal guilt and non-denominational guilt, and Jewish guilt and agnostic guilt and atheist. I mean, we all got enough to go around. There's enough to go around. We've all felt that moment. My God, my God, why? And God is saying, through the death of Jesus, I was there the whole time. I used every moment, every heartache, every heartbreak, every pain, every sorrow, every moment, every sickness. I got it all. I'm working it all out for your good, for my glory. I'm working it all out. He is with you. He's with you. God, we come before you today with so much gratitude in our heart for your willingness to stretch it all out despite the pain and the sorrow, the suffering and the fear, the anxiety, that, that deep, deep despair that comes with the sense that God has left you and you endured it for us. You endured it so that we could have life, so that we could have joy, so that we could have a relationship with the Father like yours so that we could be one with God, that we could be one with each other, that we could become uh, a people filled with your spirit, full of your power, full of your joy. Father, we praise you today. I pray that everybody here who has not experienced this love and grace, the grace of the cross, the mercy of the Savior, I pray that they would experience it today that their heart would break open and they would experience the love that's being poured into them that was poured out on that cross. I pray for those who came today who had no expectation whatsoever of having any kind of a spiritual experience, that they would open their hearts and receive you today, that they would make their life uh, uh, a life that is committed to you and that they would follow you and they would experience your love, your grace, your power. Let them know they are not alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.